0: Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Strevens. and it's that time again. We've clicked over into a new set of digits. This will be episode number 91, and um, as as I am contractually bound in a contract I signed with myself, I have to sit down and sort of uh, see where I'm at, uh, processing some different thoughts that I've tried to work on over the last year um, doing this show. So, you know, it's. <laughs> I've joked lately on some of the episodes that I, I might just stop doing this show after a hundred episodes. Um, a few people said they thought that would be disappointing. Um, it would sure free up a lot of time in my life, but, uh, I, I, I still don't know. I, I, I guess, um, it's nice to hear that some people have gotten something out of this if, if such a thing were possible. Uh, but, um, to stop completely, I don't think is the case just yet, but to definitely maybe change up the course is uh, is probably more than likely after 100 episodes, but we'll see. We'll see. It's early still. Um, I guess the reason I started this whole thing, the North Bank Media Podcast, the, the reason I did this to begin with was just to, was the original goal was to, to figure out what I thought. Now, I, I think that in some ways, I've realized that what I think changes day to day, minute to minute, hour to hour, and uh, you know it's fluid, right? And in a sense, it changes circumstantially. So to even think that I could understand what I think is kind of a foolish pursuit. I think. Uh, in some weird ways, it's like doubly subjective. It's like, what do I think? And then how do I think what I think? But you can go down that masturbatory head trip, uh, you know, in perpetuity, so to speak. But I guess more importantly, I wanted to order my thoughts in such a way that I could speak them out loud and, and take them to market, so to speak, and see, you know, see what they were worth. Were they, um, were they properly formed? Were they logical or were they nonsensical, uh, half-baked and, and needing some work? And I think that's been, um, probably more more the case of what's going on where I can start <laughs> saying something to a guest and realize I actually don't know what I'm talking about. And the guest has that look on their face like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. And uh, there's actually nothing more rewarding than that than to take a, an old tired idea that you think you understand, that you think you know, and uh, trot it out and realize that it's, it's poorly formed. And it's, it's very necessary, I think. I think it, if I could say anything, it would be that everyone should have the opportunity to scrutinize their thoughts and, and publicly, however little viewership this gets, but to scrutinize their thoughts in a way where there's accountability that you have to put forward what you think, um, in a way that makes sense. You don't just get to think your thoughts. You actually have to test your thoughts out in the real world. Um, I think it first occurred to me to, to, to host a podcast, maybe a little late, but it was about in the summer of 2020. You recall, uh, the height of sort of those race riots that were going on, uh, in the U S, um, following everybody being locked down for a couple months, uh, you know, after the George Floyd murder, um, there was, there was, there was protests, there was riots, there was, there was all kinds of demonstrations going on uh, across North America. And I felt like, uh, this sort of extreme progressivism that we're seeing politically, what some people call wokeness. Um, I, I thought it was unjustified in what it was doing. Um, You know, it placed blame on, in a lot of ways, it placed blame on white people, on men, on the wealthy, and on on systems, you know, so-called systemic oppression. If you've listened to this show for any amount of time, but more specifically in the early days, that was a a concept that I wanted to to take on uh, head on. And I suppose I did, but I really didn't accomplish anything with it. But this idea that there was a school of thought out there that was seeking to place blame on, on people, uh, for the problems of other people, to me, it just seems so. Um, it just seems so so blindly uh, perpetrating the same thing that it, it it tried to, to go against. And, and maybe I don't understand it fully, but I, I don't see how a lot of that stuff is not just the reverse. Like, is it not just racism to to um, ascribe to a group of people? a set of problems or a set of negative values and then say that everybody that I can lump within that group then has those problems that, but again, I've gone down this maze and I really, what, what became most important was that it didn't really matter. Um, you know, I still, to this day, do not understand, um, the idea of systemic oppression i don't understand how a system an institution a department a corporation can be racist now of course people can be racist people themselves can act uh, based on racial prejudice um, but you know to take to take the blame off of the individual right and then to seat that blame almost in a in a platonic way you recall, recall i talked about the the idea of the platonic form meaning that uh, whatever a thing is let's say the police department to say that um, there's something metaphysically true about the police department and that it's racist. And then if you are a police officer, you are thereby racist, right? So to take the blame off the individual and to place it into the system, you know, in a sort of platonic way, in a metaphysical way, and then ascribe those characteristics to the members of that larger system. Um, that's actually, well, first of all, it's bullshit but second of all, it's, it's really a hallmark of what I would call modern day liberalism. It's, um, it's secular orthodoxy, right? It's, it's dogmatic, willful blindness. It's, it's, it's ideological demonic possession. That's what I came to believe anyway, as if my beliefs matter, but that's how I've come to understand, um, how a lot of that, how a lot of that liberalism, how that liberal thought today seems to be working. Um, it's religious, it's dogmatic in the sense that it supposes a totalizing rightness, right? An orthodoxy, orthodoxy from the Greek meaning correct opinion, and it supposes that across everything. One of the most important things that I have learned doing this podcast though too is that it's important not to straw man your opposition for the purposes of yourself appearing right or correct. So I guess what I mean by that is 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 I, I'm talking about a supposed liberalism. Um, but you know that it would be foolish of me to say that that's what that is, and that's how that's how it is, right? So um, really, none of this, truly, none of this matters, but as a way of trying to make inroads on how I understand the world, it's important not to just say that here's this monolithic thing called modern day liberalism that always does this. And everybody who does that, everybody who does any of that does all of it, right? Like that's the same problem I just finished describing. So I guess truly what what, what has stemmed from doing 90 or so episodes of this podcast is just to remember that, um, you know, the depth and the plurality of the human experience, just as the depth and the sort of Truly, the depth of the universe and the depth of the, of of, of humanity—it's um, endless. And and to suppose that your point of view makes any difference on any of it, or to suppose that any two things are the same—is—is—is uh, is, is ridiculous. It's foolish. You know, one of the one of the first guests who came on the show when I made that call to talk about uh, systemic oppression, systemic racism, was a news reporter named Rochelle El Sufi. And, um, you know, she, she is essentially supposed to be objective in her profession as a news reporter. And I can't really speak to whether or not she was objective. I think she pursued stories that, um, that, that, that had the issue of racial bias, systemic prejudice, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, that she pursued those stories, how she chose to tell them and how the producers accepted them. It was kind of secondary to me. I never truly, really worked alongside her for any amount of time, but, she said something so fundamentally important that I still think about to this day. And I, I don't think she said it on the show. She said it uh, in a phone call we had before. She said, well, I said, well, what is systemic racism then? She says, well, it means a lot of things to a lot of people. And now that idea, the idea that some concept, some big idea could mean a lot of things, a lot of different things to a lot of people, uh, truly is part of the fundamental ethic of the show. So you'll recall that right b- before Rochelle came on the show was uh, the real, true turning point of this show at large, <laughs> broadly, was was the episode with Brittany Ohi. And I think that you can scroll down the list and you can see that that, that episode is the first episode to have a title. And and to me, um, that that marked a real, like I say, a turning point, a sort of watershed moment for me personally. And I, I, I don't know if I ever thanked her because, it wasn't as though it wasn't as though my transformation as a thinker or as a person that occurred through that episode was um, by anything that she did positively, but it was it was through the juxtaposition of how we looked at the world that I was able to better understand uh, a lot of things, a lot of things. So, you know, she she I would say, and I don't want to speak for her months later, but I would say she did a pretty good job of laying out the case for or the case that you hear from a lot of progressives, a lot of the so-called woke, um, you know, that that things like the gender, um, they're, they're, you know, gender is a social construct, you know, um, that women are paid less than men, um, that men have historically oppressed women, that whites have historically oppressed people across the world. Of course, there's, there's probably things that are partially true in that argument. And a lot of the times it comes from a place of, of compassion, a lot of the times, and I'm not saying this about anybody personally, a lot of the times that, that woke progressivism comes um, alongside a personality, I found, of, of low self-control and a lot of sort of self-hate, you know, so uh, a sort of projection onto the world, the same sort of, um, I guess, dissatisfaction with the self, and again, it's the same thing, and that's what modern liberalism does, as I've already said, is that it it takes the responsibility off of the self and externalizes it. Um I think what then was important was after running up against a sort of ideological argument, right? Um, a, 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 an argument that came down on me from a place of, "Well, this is orthodox. This is true. This is the objective, um, rational truth of the universe," as Albert Camus would would call it. Um, let me tell you. And so I think when someone who who chooses to to, to think freely, or at least chooses to think, just think without making as many judgments um as i like to think that i do Uh, i struggled for for a long long time like days and days after that conversation trying to realize trying to trying to figure out well how how is what she's saying how can that be true or how can i reconcile that and so what what came from that was the was basically the show's first solo rant um 70 some episodes ago and that the, the title of that episode was so what because I was, I was just so frustrated with all this liberal progressivism, all this sort of um, seeking to place blame on others, um, and all this unrest that in society at that time, and still to this day, um, that the battle cry sort of became, well, so what? Obviously, things are shit. Obviously, the past and most of human history has been bloodshed and conflict. Well, so what? What are you going to do about it going forward, right? So, so the episode so what and the battle cry so what has since then also become part of the fundamental ethic of this show you know it's 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 so what what are we going to do about all these problems that you seem to have identified external to you and seem to have a some sort of understanding of you know and there was something else that was part of the fundamental ethic of this show that i already said and i can't i've already forgotten it so you know how full of shit i truly am (laughs) But it's like, if you're coming to me or if you're coming to the, the world at large via Twitter or wherever, or your soapbox on the corner, if you have all these um, problems and you're coming from an orthodox dogmatic place where you seem to know the truth and you seem to see it all so clearly, even though it's really just a cookie cutter, right? A prescribed dogmatic ideology, come, come then with a solution, right? Like at least the soapbox preacher has a solution. But I, I I truly think that in the face of ideology, in, in the face of um, overbearing authoritarian progressivism, and uh, a rewriting of of human nature, then the answer is like, okay, so what? How are you going to do that? And quite oftentimes, the answer is, is quite uh, quite uh, you know, it's scary. It's scary stuff. I think if if if. Uh, progressivism if liberalism is allowed to go all the way then that's when that's when you start to see i I would i would think like fascist and um yeah communist authoritarian ways of thought but i'm not i'm not trying to go there just yet but the point there is like the answer to all these supposed hardline truths the answer is so what because in my view, the, the depth of possibility in the universe is endless. The depth of our understanding of any given concept is endless. So I can keep asking, so what? Until you spool it out to not a logical conclusion, but until you spool it out and we've completely flatten it and expose it to the light. But that's not even possible. So <laughs> truly what's, what's, what occurred to me at some point was like asking, so what? Like you can come with a line of questioning or you can come with a line of beliefs. And that's all today's discourse is. And there's so much money being made by so many talking heads on video by doing that. And it truly, it's, it's, it's really a great grift. It's really genius to just talk endlessly because that's really all we can do. I want to get back to what I said before that was that, this the again, the possibility of our understanding is as deep as the possibility of understanding ourselves meaning that meaning that a lot of what we're talking about is just that it's personal it's personally projecting our thoughts our beliefs onto the world right so when i set out to figure out what i thought i eventually realized that for one it really doesn't matter what i think right the orderliness and control of over my inner monologue requires the feedback of somebody else that's why i think the show is probably ready to move to like solely one on one or you know two on one discussions and away from this monologuing like I, if anything i've got what i needed out of the monologuing and it's i don't think it's helping anybody anymore it is helping me but i think i've come to a rational sort of soft ending to this part of the experiment Um, you know, and if I thought that universal truth and meaning was to be found in podcasting, I was sorely mistaken. You know, the, the true, the true infinites, the true infinite nature of the self and the universe, um, really just became more and more apparent. The more I talked, the more I thought, the more I listened, the more I realized there was more to say, more to hear and more to do. So really, it is an unending project, but I I just think it's more useful to undertake uh, alongside somebody else. Um, And that that means true, too, that the potential and the, you know, the potential and the, yeah, truly the potential for human dialogue is endless as well. You know, and there's been times when guests uh, on the show have said things that were relatively ignorant. Surely there's times when I've said things that were ignorant or, or not well thought out or not well formed. Uh, but, but specifically on the ignorance front, uh, you know, it, the realization also that was very freeing was that I didn't have to be the moral arbiter. I didn't have to discern right or wrong. You know, it, it, it truly is better to let someone get out all the ideas and then cast those ideas into the fire because we, we shouldn't have to, we shouldn't necessarily throw people into the fire, uh, immediately at least. (laughs) You know, the, the so-called cancel culture today is, is more, is very willing to, to, to throw people into the fire for actions granted, but I think you have to at least cast a light on the entire picture of a situation and then decide, uh, decide how to go forward from there but for me personally this show is not the place to decide what's right or wrong i think that's just such a lofty and you see it on 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 news on on other podcasts where people come in and say this is right or this is wrong this is how you should think to me that's just a money-making grift is to sell people because we know humans are necessarily thirsty for and would, would like to be shown a way to think and to sell that to people is i mean good on you but uh, to me, it's also very empty, and so, you know, the antidote for ideological thinking, and when I say ideological thinking, I'm I'm talking about that 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 liberal progressivism that we see today for one, and there's many others. Religion is one. Uh, listening to one podcast and believing what that person says to be true without enough critical thinking is 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 the same is essentially the same thing, right? So, the antidote to that ideological thinking this, this, this mode of coming into a situation with preconceived a priori assumptions, you know, based on political stripes and, and ascribing to individuals a certain value or reality based on your understanding of the world. Okay. The antidote to that, of course, the antidote to that is the absurd, the belief in the absurd. And of course, I've talked about this too many times now at this point but the idea here is that the human mind wants to suppose a rational totalizing viewpoint on the universe which itself is irrational chaotic devoid of meaning the very idea of meaning is a human construct so all beliefs are constructs the belief in meaning period is a construct but but to even suppose that meaning exists i mean to suppose that meaning could be found anywhere outside of yourself anyway um uh, that that itself is is a construct in the belief right so just as i don't have to infer or incur or suppose right versus wrong the idea that there even is a right or wrong that i need to subscribe to that there is value period is is a human construct that idea has it's all been very freeing so I suppose, if anything, this show has really liberated me. This show has really liberated me. It's it's freed me. And I, I hope that if anybody was, well, let's stop there. This show has liberated me, period. So, you know, our minds need to suppose order, uh, to, to impose order. But for me to think that that, that that universal meaning was somewhere to be found, if I just kept talking was was foolish. but I, what I did find was that I found a, a deeper freedom. I didn't there wasn't one singular thing that I had to understand. It was that I just had to let go. I truly just had to let go and realize there was nothing I had to understand. I just had to seek to understand my own understanding of the fact. That it was up to me to decide what was right, what was wrong, how to th- how to think truly. So it's it's it kind of became a, a level or five million levels up of where I thought it was. You know, the infinite, uncaring coldness of the universe is 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 fertile ground for imposing our own beliefs. You know, that of course there's a fear of the unknown. Like if you that's why often in horror movies you don't see the monster clearly ever or immediately for sure because it's much scarier if you just tell someone or suggest that there is well we don't actually know what's out there well now it's up to you to project onto the unknown uh well your thoughts well i don't know i haven't thought about what i think i was hoping somebody would just tell me right so there's a there's a soviet um science fiction film from about 71, 72, somewhere in there um, called Solaris. And I, I'm talking about the original Solaris, not the one with um, Ghislaine Maxwell's friend George Clooney in it. Um, the original directed by Andrei Tarkovsky. And um, a man goes deep into space um, and, and what he finds is a planet that can read his mind. And the planet then sends up these non-carbon-based life forms that that basically personify his memories. Like, it sends him essentially a clone of his dead wife that he now has to reckon with. So, he goes a trillion miles into the galaxy, and what does he find? He finds his own projections, his own memories. And of course, I mean, you never know, right? It could That could be the case, but it's also a very, very, I guess, sharp and and effective allegory for, for the way the human mind works. We no matter how far we go, we're just projecting our own beliefs, our own thoughts, our own systems of thought onto this universe, which is essentially a blank slate that really doesn't care to be projected on it. It's 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 fundamentally different. It's fundamentally the opposite. We're looking to suppose meaning on something that means nothing. Not even that it means nothing, but that meaning is not even part of what it is, you know? So I remember being just, just completely apocalyptically annihilated drunk uh, one day in August of this past this year and being in my friend Doug's kitchen and just, just like bent over saying, objectivity is a lie. There's no such thing as objective truth. And I, I do believe that in some sense. So <laughs> I'm not sure what he thought. I smoked all this tobacco and just told him what I thought good that we're still friends after all that because it's not the first time i've done something like that to him but so what arose from this distrust of objective truth was was later a distrust a distrust in knowledge of any kind a distrust of that there could be knowledge of anything external to me i really believe this and i i tried to barf this out on the last episode was that 81 on the riverbank there right before it snowed um and, you know, in some ways, that realization is almost more horrifying. Like, okay, fine, the universe is cold and uncaring and chaotic, and it's up to you to impose meaning and find out what's important in life. Yeah, not so bad. If that's the case, it's probably almost easier than having to live by some rational uh, code that's been imposed upon me. But, okay, but now if, now if I'm coming to the realization that to know anything, to even, okay, I can't know what's going on external to me, I can't know what's going on out in the, in the universe broadly. I see things. I see things that go on in government. I see things that go on in society. I see things that go on in my own goddamn house that I don't understand. I see things that happen between family members that I don't understand. So it's up to me to understand, okay, this is how I look at the world. So I'm going to use this as a sort of dialectic or a sort of um, means of understanding. But now we're saying, well, even that knowledge that I'm working with, exists only inside me and only I can understand it I couldn't even explain it to somebody now, that's almost more horrifying but if you're willing to think that way it's it's also just as freeing it's even more freeing because then when a friend comes to you with a problem i have no idea what you're talking about oh i i hate my job i hate my wife i hate my kids no one's, no one said that to me i mean we all hate our job at some point but I, you get what i'm saying if someone comes to you with a problem i procrastinate you know i can't i can't advance in the in my in my industry that i work in i just i can't figure this out i, I can't how do i start my own business whatever the problem is truly i can't even help you i cannot help you i cannot help you solve your problems now that as horrifying as it may be, was also very freeing to realize. It may be bleak to think of at first, but what I, what I, what I believe is that the, as I said, the infinite of the self means that all of our existence, our memories, our lived experiences have the, have the weight of our singular perspective, and the weight of each successive lived moment behind it. You see what I'm saying? It's like, I cannot know what it's like to be you. Of course, there's, there's this old philosophical, well, it's not that old, but the philosophical uh, essay called, What's It Like to Be a Bat? Because we know bats um, can't see visually very well, but they use, and they use essentially what? Sonar, echolocation. They make a sound, it bounces back, and they can tell where, where the obstacles are or where the food is you have no idea what that would be like to live that way, to experience that in your consciousness. But to think that you could, but oh, okay, I don't know what it's like to be a bat, but I know what it's like to be you is equally is equally ridiculous. I do not know what it's like to be you. Right? So, and I've said this in the last episode, but I think I need to make the point again. Talking to my friend AJ and she said, you know, the answer to life then is a question, right? You cannot understand. I can't understand you. I can barely understand myself. But I can keep asking you questions until we deepen the understanding. Or I can if you come to me with an issue, I can just keep questioning it until you gain a better understanding of whatever's going on inside you. I would think. That may be all we have to offer one another is questions. So I, I think it's a blind faith in, in even, not in the truth, but in the existence of truth. A blind faith in the existence of value and right or wrong, moral hierarchy. And I, I believe it's that that's driving the West into a, into a pretty unfortunate place, but it is also paradoxical, right? The plurality, in fact, the infinite number of perspectives and the inability to accept, I guess what I'm arguing for, the inability to accept moral relativism forces us to believe it forces us to believe that what we believe is right in any context other than our own mind that is the war that's being waged today in the west and maybe always but i'm not sure it's this it's this it's this refusal to accept moral relativism and this this refusal to believe that there it's, it's this refusal to just stop trying to impose your beliefs on anybody else Right, it is a war about belief, so as governments in the West become more authoritarian and they are, this trickles down, I think, into a into a social authoritarianism where where war is being waged over what we believe. We see governments imposing restrictions upon us. I'm not just talking about the pandemic, but generally, we've consented to be governed centuries and centuries ago. That sort of control. That, that sort of behavior of control trickles into the populace and, and everybody seeks to control others, right? because and truly, a lot of the time you you have folks with poor self-control, I myself have been there and am there. I can't control what I do. so there's a, an externalized hate, there's an externalized seek to you know um, desire to control. And sometimes it filters back in with behavioral or, or drug addiction, substance addiction. Other people seek to control. You see them being tyrannical at work. You see them being abusive to a loved one. Because we've gotten ourselves into an arrangement where we're told how to think. We're told what to believe. And the the conflict there is that on some level, all humans know that it is up to them, I think, to, to make decisions about what works. It's that taking on the personal responsibility of ordering your world that makes sense, but stopping there and not forcing it upon others. Don't be so egotistical as to think that whatever works for you would then work for anybody else. You know, obviously, we saw that going through COVID-19. We're seeing it now the way the media and the government and, and progressives are handling climate alarmism, climate change alarmism, which in my understanding is largely unfounded. Of course, Of course there's, well, I'm not going to say of course anything. I think climate alarmism, I've said this before, will be the next sort of great political uh, conflict, the next war of belief um, of our time. Um, Even look in the United States of America, the way the media handled the Kyle Rittenhouse case versus the Daryl Brooks case, okay? I don't need to go into that. If you don't know what it means, you should look it up. The way we're being told what to think and the way a system of belief, the way ideology is being used to control um, used to control the population quite, quite literally. Or in Canada, even our, our, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he appointed two new cabinet posts, Crown Indigenous Relations and Indigenous Services. So there's, there's two pretty high paying jobs for some, as George Carlin would say, smug, uh, well-fed, I don't know if these are white people, but smug and well-fed bureaucrats. And, and yet there's still 30, reserves across Canada with boil water advisories. So, so Trudeau, um, you know, Justin Trudeau at the climate conference in, in Glasgow recently, um, while Iqaluit was under a two month long boil water advisory, Iqaluit, is that not a major capital city in Canada? Couldn't drink the tap water there? That's what, that's what we would call triage culture, right? Picking One or the other. What's more important? Well, obviously my international reputation as a progressive leader who stands on the stage and talks about um, doing our best to stamp down industry and combat climate change while there's people in my own country back at home who can't drink the water. Right? Peak triage culture. That's what the progressives do because, you know, if the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell that's going on right now is, is is revealing anything, it's that human trafficking and pedophilic sex trafficking are rampant in this, in this world. Uh, but we're going to focus on climate change, whatever that may mean. And really, it just means crippling our own economy. And does nothing to suppose that humans might be able to, to geoengineer a solution. You know, so... As I said before, I'd like to make this point once more before I get out of here. Um, <laughs> there are talking heads on all sides of the spectrum um, that make a lot of money um, either perpetuating the lies and the mainstream narrative of the media, which is really just government propaganda at this point, and there are still the people, the, the let's say controlled opposition, you might say someone like Alex Jones or Dave Rubin or any of those ideological dark web guys they make just as much money doing the exact same thing, perpetuating a way to think. And the, the grift is endless because the government's not going anywhere. The lies and deceit aren't going anywhere. The population control and the, you know, all of these prepackaged ways for you to think are available, okay? So it's endless, truly, Politics, talking heads on TV, all that shit is truly endless. And really, it just sucks the soul out of a person because it it takes away their right to think for themselves. So talking heads on video really are not a part of the solution. Only in so far, perhaps, as they could motivate people to think for themselves. I'll say it once more. Talking heads on video are definitely no part of the solution. And on that note, I'll leave it there.